State Farm Studio. I am your host, Zach Berry. Our guest will join us momentarily here, but like we always do, I'm going to uh, tell you about the good folks that make this show possible. I mentioned we are in the Davis McCord State Farm Studio. If you need good neighbor service and surprisingly great insurance rates, look no further than Davis McCord. He is your one-stop shop in Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Mississippi for the service you deserve at the price you want. So stop looking around. State Farm agent Davis McCord is ready to help. Call him at 901-755-6110 for your surprisingly great rates today. Podcast also brought to you by LB's Meat Market in Oxford, 2008 University Avenue. Go see Greg and the good folks. And if you do so today, tomorrow, later this week, the weekend, next week, I don't know. They might just keep doing this forever. Um, you can celebrate with the best protein for your Ole Miss grilling needs. And if you tell them that you're a loyal listener of the podcast, if you read the website, if you like Red Cup Rebellion, you can probably just tell them anything if it's related to the show or Red Cup. You will receive a 16-ounce prime strip for 15 bucks and a pack of sausage for $5. So pretty much a $20 dinner that uh, just can't be beat. Um, so like I said, mention – Red Cup sent you. You listen to Podcast Rebellion and Greg, and then we'll hook it up. 16-ounce prime strip and a pack of sausage for 20 bucks. Also, podcast brought to you by Sola on South Lamar. Chef Erica and her committed team of food and beverage enthusiasts are bringing top-notch cuisine and libations to you six days a week. So whether it's happy hour, three to six, fresh squeezed margaritas, ramen, two-for-one Moscow mules, they are bringing the best and brightest to you in-house or via curbside pickup. So check them out, solaoxford.com. That's S-O-L-A oxford.com or call them at 662-238-3500 and place your order today. Now, without further ado, I welcome in JP Gooderham from Fear the Wave, Fear the Wave blog on Twitter, we interact a ton, mostly during baseball season, but we're here to discuss football. So thanks for joining, man. How are you? Oh, I'm awesome. Hey, Zach, thanks so much for having me. I got to give you some props right off the bat. That was a very appetizing ad read that you just did. I'm, I'm in on that <laughs> deal already, but I'm also just really excited for this, uh, this Tulane Ole Miss game. You know, these are two programs that they've played 69 times in history. This is going to be number 70 Ooh. coming up here on Saturday. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm just very, very excited for this. So very happy to be here talking about this game with you. You just mentioned how many times they have played and I'm trying to look it up. I guess Winsipedia probably has a page for it. I think I might've been at the 69th edition of this. The last, so it was in the Superdome. Was it 2012, 2012, I think, no. I don't think I no, I went to the one before that. So what was the one before that was uh let's see. This is a really good pod right now. I think it was 2009. I think it was 2009. It was it was when Houston Nutt was the coach. I was still an undergrad. Um you know, honestly it was foggy because we went to the game and then we went straight to, to Bourbon Street. So that's probably why I don't remember anything. Um so yeah, I guess. Oh, it was 2010, and it was vacated. <laughs> so, yeah, it was yes. a sloppy 27-13 win. Uh, that was when Bob Toledo was still the head coach. So, how about that? And then the oh, 2012 yeah. one can, was vacated, too. Yeah, yeah. 2012 was vacated, too, but, you know, who cares? Um, 
anyway, so enough enough revisionist history. Uh, we are here for this to, to discuss the 70, 70th edition of this rivalry. And, and I would probably go to bat on Twitter uh, pretty much anywhere that this might be one of the better uniform matchups that we'll see this year at college football. It's exceptional. I think that what Ole Miss has done with their uniforms has been awesome. And I think Tulane moving to the angry wave, I think for, for folks on Twitter or people who are, who are very online, they're aware of the transition of Tulane from the old boring T wave that would have been our logo last time these two programs met on the gridiron. Mm-hmm. They've now moved to the angry wave. But what I think is also exciting is uh, like Ole Miss, they've kind of gone all in on the, the baby blue and the kind of the old school Houston Oilers type of look. And I think it's been a huge step forward. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that this, in my opinion, is one of the top five football games on its merit alone. But you add in the uniform matchup and it just takes us to a whole nother level. Yeah, I mean, it, it's I, I love the colors that we are probably going to see. I'm not sure. I would probably venture to guess that Ole Miss is probably going to go with the red tops. I don't know for sure, but I'm thinking that's probably what they're going to do just to offset the, I'm assuming the heavy blue that Tulane's going to have on their uniforms. Um, but yeah, I mean, nevertheless, I mean, I still think it's going to be a great matchup because even if Ole Miss does wear the red tops, it's going to contrast the blue and the white and, and the little accent of the green uh, pretty nicely. Um, you know, you mentioned the angry wave. And before I forget, I do want to make sure that we clear the air. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think we had some fun with it way back when. Um, I guess it was back in March when um, uh, a friend of ours um, who designed kind of a throwback um you know, quote unquote throwback look for um, for Ole Miss and how back in the early 1900s, they were the flood. And so we were like, man, it'd be so cool if they could somehow do something like that because the rise of home field and how they're doing all these really cool throwback shirts, you know, apparel that you can go buy. And it, it's hard for Ole Miss to, to be able to, to participate for obvious reasons because a lot of the vintage Ole Miss stuff is not exactly – not exactly okay these days, but um, I'm pretty sure that we were kind of joking about it, but I don't know if, if there were some Tulane fans that were not happy with uh, the rendering that our buddy JW did, um, but it was obviously, you know, no uh, no disrespect. Um, we weren't trying to, to steal the Angry Wave look. I mean, he did a couple different renderings that uh, we have on our shop, if anybody's interested. I mean, we had a we had a catfish in a boat. We had a script flood. And then we had kind of an M wave that I guess kind of looks like the angry wave. So obviously, you know that we were not trying to to swipe that. But I just want to clear the air for any fear of the wave listeners that uh, we might have that uh, thinks that we were trying to steal it. I'm cracking up right now. I actually just rediscovered this this debate like yesterday, uh, some folks might've seen this. I think, I think you guys retweeted it, but I posted your version of the angry wave and ours. I'll go on the record right now that I love that design, the, the, the flood angry wave you guys did. So I'm, I'm very supportive, but while I was pulling that up, I was like, okay, I remember they posted it 
maybe early 2021, you know, early 2021, maybe last year, I was looking and I saw all of these Fear of the Wave people tagging me and they're like, hey, I think they're trying to rip us off. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure this is the same thing. I'm like, I don't think there's a big debate over what that is, but I really dig it. Uh, it is a, a, a legacy. Do you, do you know uh, Tupelo High School? Yeah, Tupelo's based, mascot is. Yeah, they ripped it off. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're they're, they're all the golden in. they're wave. the the golden wave. So it's just the exact same thing, but gold. So I liked Ole Misses because I felt like you guys put your own spin on it. I would love if Tupelo did more of that and put out some merch, I would buy it. And that's been a weird thing that I've been thinking <laughs> about for a few years now. Yeah, I, I've, I'm originally from Memphis, and there was a. Uh, a high school in Memphis that's uh, Christian Brothers and they're the Purple Wave. And um, they they don't really use a mascot. They just kind of do the initials. But the, the, I've always, you know, oh, Purple Wave. And I obviously knew about Tulane growing up. But, yeah, theirs is kind of like a roided out, like, looks like a grape Kool-Aid, like, sloshing around, like, flexing. Um, and then their their mascot that they have on the sidelines is very strange looking. but. But yeah, so just wanted to make sure that that we know that Tulane fans know that we were not trying to disrespect the angry wave. Um, but like, if, if if you're like JP here and, and you you appreciate good wave artistry, um, go check out our shop. And uh, shout out to uh, JW. You can find him at Eye of the South on Instagram. He uh, he does some great work. But um, all right, so let's jump into the game. We've talked enough about. Uh, uniforms and and logos and whatnot so you guys obviously kind of burst onto the scene um labor day weekend took oklahoma you know to the brink lose by five um what was that like as a fan i mean was this something that you know what what was this season what was the anticipation of this season like what were the expectations going into that oklahoma game and then how did did everybody kind of handle that close loss it's interesting because I think that as Tulane fans, emotionally or whatever, the pulse of the fan base, if you will, it was much more mixed than maybe some of the national folks reporting on that game. And that's because if you think about it, first of all, Tulane was a 31 and a half point underdog for that game to begin with. And on top of that, you had Tulane. We didn't know if the game was going to happen. That game against Oklahoma, it was supposed to happen in New Orleans. Of course, that got moved due to the effects of Hurricane Ida. Uh, and, and really, there was a big question going into, I think, late Monday, preceding the Saturday of that game. Is it even going to happen? Tulane moves its football program to Birmingham, uh, and which was expected to basically be our home base for several weeks in a move that was kind of reminiscent of what Tulane went through during Hurricane Katrina, of moving the football team and kind of trying to figure out what they could do. So, you know, if you, we kind of thought back to that season, there was a lot of ceremonial games going out and playing in unfamiliar stadiums and and the competitive thing was not good right and so you add that against a team that was the at the time the number two team in the country in oklahoma and you know a lot of folks thought that this tulane team was going to get shellacked and as you point out you know tulane ends up losing that game 40 to 35 and while i think it put the green wave and what willie fritz has been doing on the radar for a lot of folks that look this isn't the same old tulane team that Ole Miss would have played in 2012. I was at that game. It was my undergrad years when Ole Miss, I think it was like 39 to zero. And there was like 5,000 people in the stadium. Uh, <laughs> this is a different green wave team. Now the flip yeah. side is 
Tulane outplayed Oklahoma for three of those quarters. They really did. And in the second quarter, which is when Oklahoma went on a 23 to zero run that clinched the game, there were mm. two fumbles that were just, just, you know, uh, the snap was bad and that was it. It was the first play of those drives. And so I think the challenge is you had what could have been a signature win and that goes away. Right. And, and while it's this moral victory, it's a loss in the, the win loss column. And I think that sets the stage for, for Saturday, which is a game I'm going to Tulane has not won against an AP ranked opponent since Vanderbilt in 1982. They have not beat oh. Ole Miss here or there since 1989. And I think that we all know this is a really talented Ole Miss team that has an elite offense. This is an exciting game. And I think Green Wave fans and specifically the team, they're hungry. They want to get over that hump. And it hasn't happened yet in, in you know, many, many years at this point. You know, you, you, you mentioned that second quarter that kind of doomed you guys in that, in that Oklahoma game. Um, but I mean, honestly, before that, I mean, I remember I was actually on vacation out of the country, but we were keeping up with games while we were there. And I remember a couple of buddies, we, we were there for a wedding. So I was there with a bunch of friends and, and some of the guys were like, man, two lanes already picked off Spencer Rattler twice. And I think, I think it might've been his second pass attempt. He got picked off. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. So, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, knotted at 14 after the first quarter. I mean, you guys, struck first and answered back after they scored. And so it went back and forth. And then you had the, like you said, the second quarter that ultimately doomed Tulane. But I mean, after that, I mean, you guys hung with them, uh, scored 21 points in the second half, held them to three. Um, You you mentioned Ole Miss having a high powered offense. Oklahoma's offense is obviously really good. Um, I believe I'm looking at Bill C's numbers here. Oklahoma has the number one SP plus offense. So with Ole Miss having the fifth ranked SP plus offense going into this game, um, Tulane actually 44th overall in the SP plus rankings. I, I guess what are kind of the expectations for this game? You know, I, I'm not going to, um, you, you know, pretend that that Ole Miss is not concerned with Tulane. I mean, Lane Kiffin today, I believe the quote was he said they're essentially an SEC opponent with how well they played against Oklahoma. And then you guys scored Whoa. a ton of points against Morgan State. Uh, yeah. I mean, so he's, uh, you know, obviously taking it very serious. So what, what do you, as a, as a fan, and then also as somebody that covers sports for Tulane, what's the expectation for this game? And not necessarily, you know, a point, you know, a, you know, a prediction win loss. I mean, what, what do you expect from Tulane in this game? Yeah. And man, it's, I, I was thinking about that as you were, you were talking me through it. And, you know, I think it's, it's really going to start with this question of, can you back up and validate what just happened at Oklahoma? Right. Cause at, at Oklahoma, I, I'm trying to think how to put this politely, but, but Spencer, Spencer Rattler's comments after that game, which were, I think meant to be complimentary were that Tulane wanted it more Tulane tried more we weren't focused, right? Which the implicit thing there is we weren't at our best and that's why Tulane hung in there. And I think what is so dismissive about that comment is, you know, specifically, I think a lot of people looked at Michael Pratt, Tulane's, I want to say sophomore because he's a second year quarterback, but because of COVID, he's a freshman again. But Tulane's second year quarterback, Michael Pratt, was so dang tough throughout that game. He made the passes and frankly looked better than Spencer Rattler. 
Tulane on defense, you pointed this out already. Tulane had uh, a true freshman making his first start ever at the college level. He picks off Spencer Rattler on the second uh, second play of the game. There is a lot of talent that has been built on this Tulane team and some guys who were diamonds in the rough. You know what I mean? You know, I'll, I'll point out a guy who some people in Mississippi might know, Jeffrey Johnson on the Tulane defensive line. He is an SEC quality player from a physical standpoint. And if you look at his 247, he had offers from top tier power five programs. And for some reasons that escaped me, I think it was something related to his health, which ended up being a kind of mixed diagnosis type situation. He falls to Tulane. Well, he is a talented player who has the capacity to be disruptive and play at a high level. And so I think to answer your question, I think the first thing that Tulane fans really want to see from this game is, is frankly, can they do it? Can they break this streak that goes back decades at this point? and go and, and play with a team that we know has the talent that Ole Miss does. And I think if you can't get that win, if nothing else, what you want to see from Tulane is that the things that went well in Oklahoma are the identity of this team, that this Tulane two offense can move the ball against a quality defense, that the Tulane defense can hang with a high-powered offense like we'll see from Ole Miss. And I think those are the two big kind of things that I'm thinking about as we go into this one. You know, you talk about the – the offensive firepower that Oklahoma has and then Ole Miss who um, basically did whatever they wanted against Louisville. And then this past week, put it on Austin P kind of, you know, I wouldn't say went through the motions, but they were pretty vanilla and still scored a ton of points. Um, as far as the defense, you know, you talk about Jeffrey Johnson and I remember um, I was, I was going to actually ask about him. Um, Ole Miss recruited him as well from Mississippi Um as far as what the defense is going to have to do to slow down Matt Corral, I mean, what, how do you expect them? Do you think it's going to be, you know, taking a page straight out of the Arkansas playbook from a year ago where it was just basically drop seven or eight and just force him to beat him underneath? Or do you think they're just going to, you know, load the box and try to, because I, you know, I feel like people forget just because of Corral and all the accolades that, you know, preseason, he was first team all SEC, but this is an Ole Miss team that, that led the SEC in rushing a year ago. So do you think they're going to try to take one or the other away? Or do you think Willie Fritz is going to just have that defense try to play straight up like they did against Oklahoma and just see what happens? So this is the biggest question mark of this game for me. And I was I was thinking about this today, which is, and, and you know, Tulane has new coordinators on both sides of the ball. We'll basically be seeing the third game, but really the second game from, from new Tulane defensive coordinator, Chris Hampton. And it's a really challenging question because, because here's what I think when I compare Oklahoma against Ole Miss, you know, obviously a lot of the accolades and the focus go to Matt Corral and that's well-deserved. He's a phenomenal quarterback, but you're exactly right. You know, you look at the rushing stats that Ole Miss has put up. A lot of that really starts with the fact, I think Ole Miss's offensive line is better than Oklahoma's. And the reason that is such a concern for me as I look at this Tulane team is that if you look at the tape in that Oklahoma game, yes, Tulane held Oklahoma to 40 points, which is a lot of points, but, but still against a high-powered offense like that, it kept Tulane in the game. But the, the biggest thing that was a challenge, they did a great job forcing turnovers. They got Rattler to throw two picks. Tulane has good cornerbacks. They had uh, on several of those possessions in the second quarter, this game could have got out of hand. Tulane was giving up fumbles like around their own 20 yard line, but they were bending, but not breaking. They were not allowing that to turn into a touchdown. They were holding Oklahoma to field goals. What they did not do well is they weren't getting pressure on the quarterback. 
And, and so I think that what you just teed up here is exactly kind of what I think, which is, do you load the box and do you go all in and say, you know what, we're going to try and put a lot of bodies there and we're going to try to put a lot of pressure up front and see what we can do uh, and try to get more penetration than we did against Oklahoma. And my concern with that is, question is like, okay, you can do that, but this whole miss offensive line is it brings serious firepower. I think that the strategy of trying to contain as much as you can and try to force those underneath and try to bend but not break. That's where my head is at. I'm really interested what, what we end up doing there. I, I think that you cannot choose to play this team straight up. I think that if you do that, you are going to be in a, a seriously challenging position in the way that you can manage the Ole Miss offense. And frankly, what we know that they do extremely well. All right, we're going to take a quick break here from our other sponsors. So hang tight. We'll be right back more with JP from Fear the Way blog. So hang tight. We'll be right back. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion, to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments Part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe a anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something the place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out the rooftop bar, which is super awesome, has some great views, 
of downtown Memphis of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that Healing Station bourbon, a very small batch high rye bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, and just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high rye bourbons. So you could do that, or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend, and then you can wind down with that Healing Station afterwards. So, like we always say, ask your pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic. And, as always, OD encourages you to share a sip responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. And we are back here on Podcast Rebellion, previewing the Tulane game with J.P. Gooderham from Fear the Wave blog. All right, J.P., I, I feel like we, we, we have to go ahead and jump into this one. I just asked you about the defense, so let's talk offense. Um, after a couple of years with Will Hall, he is hired on as the head coach at Southern Miss. Um, did some pretty fantastic things with the offense in his short time there. Um, with uh, the Green Wave um, in Uptown New Orleans, but you guys didn't just go just find somebody. You went and got Chip Long, who was with Notre Dame. Um, He was with Tennessee as as an analyst, and now he's there as the OC um, with the Green Wave. So how different in your eyes is the offense? And, you know, I've seen, you know, Michael Pratt was really good against Oklahoma, and then Justin – Ibietta had a pretty good game against Morgan State. Um, what do you think the attack is going to be um, against this Ole Miss defense that was just absolutely abysmal a year ago and then second year in the system with DJ Durkin? They've got some, some impact guys at key positions that are playing really well. They've got a transfer linebacker that's been kind of a godsend to kind of guide this defense and um, you know, it's only two games into the season, but they're 43rd in SP plus defense right now. So huge turnaround so far, only in two games. But what do you anticipate Chip Long doing with the quarterback position? And how do you think they're going to try to attack this defense that's seemingly finding their feet? Um, but it, it's still early. Yeah. And, and Zach, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, to be honest with you, if Ole Miss was still, I think they were ranked like 83rd or 85th or something in SP plus last year. If that was still the Ole Miss defense, I would feel much more confident putting Ole Miss in some kind of upset alert. I I think that the strides that Ole Miss has made this year, particularly with now being in the second year of bringing in the right talent and and building around that system, 
that's really productive. And I think it's a big deal for Ole Miss as you guys continue to to kind of match what the offense has been able to do really quickly under under Lane Kiffin. But let's talk about the offensive coordinator change because as you you mentioned, Will Hall, you know, he heads to Hattiesburg. Congratulations to, to Coach Hall, who just got his first win there. Uh, he modernized the two-lane offense. I think in some ways, uh, somewhat in parallel to the way that maybe Lane Kiffin and staff have modernized Ole Miss into a more prototypical version of what we see the future of college football as. And for anyone who is like, I don't know how, how many folks listening right now have watched a lot of two-lane football, uh, but Willie Fritz comes from a distinctive offensive identity, right? He was the head coach at Georgia Southern, which was running the triple option. When he came to Tulane for the, the first three, three to four years, we were pretty committed basically to an extraordinarily run-heavy offensive game plan. It would not be irregular in those days to have nine, 10, 11 passes uh, for the entire game. I mean, it was like a service academy game plan without the service. And so you compare that to now, Will Hall in his two years in Uptown did a number of things. But one of the biggest ones was getting us to an offensive balance where now teams knew that the green wave could be a risk offensively, specifically at throwing the football. And a big part of that early was that Tulane had some really dynamite wide receivers. Uh, Darnell Mooney, who's now an impact player for the Chicago Bears, he was a guy who, who could really force defenses to think. But Tulane did not have a hyper-functional quarterback to, to work in that offense, somebody who could run and throw. Uh, in comes Michael Pratt. And Michael Pratt, his first game ever was he, he basically came in to replace our original starter last year against Southern Miss. He puts up 66 points and sets the record for the most opponent points ever scored at Southern Miss, uh, which is a pretty cool way to start your career. And he's continued to progress since then. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we've started to see is, is number one, the infusion of the passing attack has been a big deal. But the other thing that's pretty cool is that everything you said about Chip Long, he's a former Notre Dame offensive coordinator. He had a number of top 15 SP plus offenses there. He wasn't really a culture fit at Notre Dame. That seems to be the reason why he sort of fell out with them. And Willie Fritz said this was the first guy and only guy he wanted to hire. And you might think that's coach speak, but here's what's interesting. Chip Long was the roommate of Will Hall when they both played college football together. They have a very unified philosophy, I think, across a lot of things. And so if you look at the, the, the tape of Tulane, we're still doing some of the things that Will Hall really brought to us. So, for instance, on the goal line, at least once in this game, uh, you're going to see Tulane go out of the flux bone. Uh, and they'll do some like kind of wing T type stuff. Uh, and it's just a, it's an interesting look. And that was something Will Hall brought in and, and Chip Long has kept. But I think what's kind of the craziest thing, and again, we really only have one good game to evaluate the way Chip Long wants to run this offense. He was like kind of a maniac when it came to Tulane was passing on rushing downs and rushing on passing downs pretty consistently in that Oklahoma game. You know, it, it was, I'm very interested to see if the play calling is similar. I think it worked very, very effectively in that game. And I'm wondering how much of that was the surprise of not really having tape of what the Tulane team would look like versus what we see on Saturday at Ole Miss. So I mentioned, you know, Ivietta had a big game. Michael Pratt also threw for over 100 yards and threw a couple of touchdowns. Was it a true? I, I, I'll i admit freely, I I watched tape of the Oklahoma game, but I didn't see much outside of a couple of highlights of the Morgan State game. Was it a true two quarterback system, or was it just 
one guy played the first half, the other guy played the second, or did they just kind of rotate? How, yeah. how was that moving? Tulane was up 52 to three at the half. So the starters got to sit. So, so I be at a, um, he's, he's, you know, he's the, the guy we wanted to see get some experience. And I think that's the most that we could kind of hope for from that Morgan state game. So yeah, once, uh, once they posted 50 plus, I think they were ready to get Pratt out of there after he took, uh, a pretty hellacious beating the week before against Oklahoma. It's, it's, he was, uh, he was banged up. He kept getting up, but I think it was good that he got a little bit of a break there and, can come a, a little bit fresh to, to Ole Miss on Saturday. So I do want to talk a little bit more about, about Willie Fritz. You know, you mentioned he was at Georgia Southern before that. Um, I don't think a lot of folks realize he was at Sam Houston state for four seasons, went to two straight title games in the, at the FCS level, went 14 and one, one year. Um, I believe he was, yeah, he was the FCS coach of the year in 2011 that when they went 14 and one, um, and then in 2012, he was the Liberty Mutual Coach of the Year when they went 11 and four and lost in the title game again. Um, so obviously won you know 40 games in four years at St. Houston State. Then he 17 in two years at Georgia Southern. First two seasons uh, at Tulane, only won nine games, and then after that, three straight bowl games. He won two of them. Um, I guess outside of this Ole Miss game, the the overall, I guess the overarching theme of this season is it. Uh, are, are Tulane fans expecting to get over that six, seven win mark and then hopefully get into a little more of a bigger bowl game? You know, what's, what's kind of the expectations for this team behind, uh, you know, a, an offensive mind like Chip Long that's doing some, some exciting things or scoring a ton of points. Uh, what do you anticipate this team looking like at the end of the season? That's a, a really good question. And I think that, not to go too much by soapbox here, but I think that it kind of speaks to the importance of this Ole Miss game. Tulane, for, for folks who follow the preseason win-loss over-under, Tulane's over-under was just 5.5 games. And you look at Tulane, which has won basically six or seven games for the last three years. And, you know, for, for some of you folks listening, you're probably thinking, you know, winning six, going six and six, you know, what, what does that mean? This is the first time ever Tulane has made three consecutive bowl games. And what Willie Fritz has accomplished is, he has taken the green wave from being a truly struggling program from 1998 when they go undefeated, they finish number seven in the country, they choose not to keep Rich Rodriguez, who is the offensive coordinator and coach in waiting as the head coach, and instead go with a completely different direction that ultimately failed. And the implications here are, are, are really significant because Tulane now has established consistency and stability for the first time in this millennium. And I have so much confidence based on what we've seen in Willie Fritz's ability to, to elevate Tulane. And you know, what you just said, it, it kind of scared me almost when he, they hired him because he had won everywhere he had been. He had won a JUCO national championship. He had won at the D2 level. He had been to the finals when he was at Sam Houston. He goes to Georgia Southern for their first two ever seasons in the FBS level. They go to bowl games both times. I mean, this guy just kept getting it done. And if he goes to Tulane and can't do it, what does that tell you, right? And so it's it's nice that we've started to see this, this you know, the, the rewards start to come of his work because it was a little bit of a slow burn to get there of getting the right players in place. He talked a lot about how Tulane didn't have what he would describe as D1 quality players before. Now they do, you know. They have his offense wasn't quite working in the AAC. 
he completely changes offensive philosophy. This guy just finds a way to win. But I think what this tees up is the importance of this Ole Miss game. The reality for Tulane as a team that decided to leave the SEC and that now is kind of in this position where LSU is, is extraordinarily so that the top dog in the state and the city, and whether you're looking at media attention or, or whatever, right? And then you also have the Saints. Tulane needs to kind of find those signature wins to start building the brand in a serious way. Because while it is so impressive to me as a college football nerd and as a Tulane fan to go from where the green wave was, where they were going two and 10 every year or going three and nine every year, and they were not competitive in Conference USA. I think that, that where we feel this season is people, I think, wanted to see them make the bowl game again. The question was the schedule was so tough. You had these non-conference games against Oklahoma and Ole Miss. In the AAC, you're playing Cincinnati. You're playing UCF on the road. You're playing the best teams in the league. Could they really do it this year? I think for Tulane fans, whether we're looking at the Ole Miss game or the overall complexion of the season, people think they could do it now. And I think that that's why these next few games are, are, are so important for Tulane to basically paint that picture, if that makes sense. Yeah, man, looking at the schedule, you know, outside of this weekend's game, and then, I mean, this is a brutal back-to-back stretch here, uh, but it is cool because you finally get to return to Yulman Stadium in New Orleans, uh, September 25th, night game against UAB. I think uh, the crowd will probably, or I should say hopefully, be huge. Um, I know you you guys had to relocate to, to Birmingham. The team's been living out of a hotel for a couple weeks. Um, so that'll be fun. Um, that'll be a tough one. UAB is always really well coached under Bill Clark and um, they're always a tough opponent, but then you look, you know, ECU, I think is winnable. Um, Houston, SMU, Cincinnati, UCF is probably the most brutal four week stretch for an AAC team. And I think if you could just get out of that with at least one or two, and then you close the year with Tulsa and South Florida before a tough one on the road at Memphis to close the season out. I mean, right there, you're looking at possibly one, two, three, four, five, and then maybe playing for, I would say, sixth or seventh win in that final game against Memphis. I mean, from what I've seen with how they played against Oklahoma, scoring a ton of points against Morgan State, and then how they look this weekend, I think I, I agree with you there wholeheartedly that how this team performs against a nationally ranked SEC opponent could really, you know, even in look, I mean, I, I think most people, and you would probably agree with me here. I'm just assuming you, you might be on, you know, might be putting us on upset alert, but I think most people expect Ole Miss to win. But if Tulane shows up, plays hard, scores some points, I think that can kind of – you can use that momentum and kind of catapult into the rest of the season, like you said, and and really build on it in, uh, you know, this um, – I guess what is now – one, two, three, four, five – yeah, year six of Willie Fritz in uh, New Orleans. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. You know, I, I said before that I thought, you know, the line was going to be about two touchdowns, and, and that's what it was. And that feels right to me. I think that it's a game that – you know, if Tulane does some of the right things and 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 kind of wins the turnover battle, things can get pretty interesting. And on the flip side, if Ole Miss comes in and, and Tulane doesn't bring a good defensive game plan and, you know, the Rebels really just can do what they want to do, uh, this could get really challenging quickly, especially as fast and up-tempo as this offense moves. And so I think that, that your kind of analysis there of this does kind of shape how Tulane can feel about some of these games because you look at this 
SMU has Tanner Mordecai, right? That's a really talented offense full of P5 transfers who have come home to Dallas. And SMU's offense has been really fantastic year in and year out. I think they're a dark horse team for this league. Cincinnati is in contention again, and I would say the front runner to take the group of five bid. We know they're going to Mm -hmm. the Big 12. They're running out in the field with a Big 12 flag already. You know, that's a game you'd (laughs) love to go in and, and, and do something. And then UCF, you know, Dylan Gabriel is a fantastic quarterback. We know their offense is going to be good. Um, we'll see what the Gus Malzahn effect does over time. But, you know, they're a good team. So I agree with you that especially if Tulane, I think, defensively can answer some questions and show progress from Oklahoma, it makes you feel better about those games. And, and to me, if Tulane does not win against Ole Miss, this is not the season over for us, right? Which is, which is, which is helpful for us to understand in the perspective of things. I think it would be amazing. It would be an incredible historical moment for the program for this to be an upset, but I agree with you to wins an underdog and they're an underdog for a reason. I think being competitive in this game is really crucial for us to, to keep believing that this is a team that can contend for the league this year, because if the answer is no, maybe this is more of that six win season. And that's something that I think Tulane fans can maybe take from this game as we look at the big picture. So last couple things here. And again, JP, thank you for your time. It's, it's been fun. Um, I, I think I'm trying to think of how to, how to frame it. Um, well, I, well, I, I, I don't have to think about how to frame this, but you know, you mentioned the turnover battle and this is kind of the, this is the theme, I guess, for this season, because last year, Matt Corral was was outstanding. He led the country in total yards per game, but he had the two the two bumps in the road against Arkansas and LSU, where he threw, I think, I think 11 interceptions in those two games. Um, yet to throw a pick this season in two games. Um, we already talked about how Tulane turned over Spencer Rattler twice, who a lot of people think is the best quarterback in the country. Um I think that's that's probably going to be the key is just baiting Matt Corral to get out of the comfort zone that he's been in these first two games of being very patient, taking what the defense gives him. So I'm I'm excited to have a you know a fired up opponent on the that's coming on the road, upset in mind, and then you know what kind of um, you know, what kind of mindset are they going to be in against, you know, what appears to be someone that's, you know, currently after two weeks in the season in the running to get an invite to New York for the Heisman. So Chris Hampton in his first season, what's he going to cook up for, for Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin to try to slow this offense down? That's, that's probably the most uh, outside of the uniforms. That's probably the matchup I'm looking forward to the most. Yeah. And I think that to your point, that was the one negative, right? You know, I, I looked at that Arkansas game too. I have the box score open right now. I couldn't believe this, that he he threw for two, you know, watching that Louisville game, comparing that performance where you're right, he, he, he looks not only like a Heisman quality performer, but someone who frankly looks a lot better than maybe what we saw in Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago to have thrown two touchdowns against six interceptions in one game for 200 yards. I mean, that blew my mind. Um, mm-hmm. I want to watch the tape this week, but I think I fully agree with you. I think that uh, this is something that a lot of coaches preach, but certainly Willie Fritz does that the way you win ball games is to go plus two in the turnover category. Uh, And it means that Tulane needs to continue to be hungry on defense. It means the cornerbacks need to seize those opportunities. If Corral comes out and he's a little bit slow or he makes a throw, that's a little bit lazy that you're taking those opportunities. You're an underdog in the road. You cannot give them up. 
I think the difference is from what we saw with Oklahoma and what the difference is between Tulane having a chance to win and Tulane falling away in this game is, you know, if you're missing those opportunities, but also if your offense is giving up the easy ones, you know, Michael Pratt and the two-man offense did a lot of really good things in that game against Oklahoma, but the fumbles in the second quarter were the difference maker in that game. Hands down, the game could have been a completely different deal, and we wouldn't be talking about this as a moral victory, and we could talk about it as a real win if that second quarter was different. And I think that's something that we really want to see as Tulane fans. But I agree with you. I think the, the most interesting thing here is what, what, can, what can Tulane dial up? What can they do? more effectively than they did against Oklahoma to, to kind of build that defensive game plan. And that's my question too. All right. So before I let you go, I want to give you the floor here, make sure that the folks know where to find you and your work. I mentioned fear of the wave blog on Twitter. It's at fear of the wave blog, but um, you guys have a website, you guys have a podcast So make sure and let everybody know where they can uh, find your work and where they can listen to you. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And I and, uh, really appreciate you having me. This has been a lot of fun. We've interacted with you guys on Twitter for a while. I, I really mean this. We don't say this all the time. I, I love what Red Cup does and think you guys are fantastic. Um, if you're looking for Fear of the Wave or to learn a little more about Tulane, you can find us on Twitter at Fear of the Wave blog. Uh, we're also on Substack at fearthewave.substack.com. We'll do a Ole Miss preview with some uh, film breakdown later this week. Also, I'm going to be at the game and probably will have my Fear of the Wave shirt. So if you see me and you're listening, please say hello. Uh, really excited. First time I'll ever be at a Ole Miss football game uh, at, at your house. So I'm pretty stoked for that one. Well, nice. And, and look, man, I, I would be remiss if I, if I didn't say this, but I'm stoked that you guys are getting to return. Um, I, I hope that, that you and yours were, were not um, affected too terribly by the hurricane. And I think uh, I speak for everyone at Red Cup and with the Ole Miss fan base that it's good that you guys are getting back to Yulman and um, cause I would, I, I love that stadium. I, we, we talk a lot about stadiums, um, with Ole Miss and how they, I would, if I could, if I had the money, I would donate it yesterday for them to tear down Vaught Hemingway and start over. And I mean, Yulman's a great blueprint to go off of. I think Ole Miss could do that and just add, you know, maybe 20,000 more seats and, um, it would just be amazing, but I, I'm glad you guys are getting to go home. I love the new on-campus digs. It's, it's so nice. And, um, I'm excited for this weekend. I mean, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be entertaining. It's primetime ESPN two. Um, and I know that, that, that y'all are excited as well. So I think it's, uh, it's going to be fun. And if anything, it's, it's going to look gorgeous on TV with the uniforms. Oh yeah. And I'm going to get yelled at by my folks on Twitter for, for saying this and trying to convince opposing fans to come but I will call out that there's a return game in this series in 2023 and there's obviously a lot of Ole Miss alums who, who live in New Orleans and are in the region and can come uh you should check it out man it, it's you I know you know this Zach but but just for anyone who hasn't seen it it is such a different experience from the Superdome uh there is now tailgating that happens on campus in the quads uh you walk you know <laughs> you can you it's very accessible if you're coming from downtown in the French Quarter and that kind of thing uh, it is such a fun experience and it's a small stadium, but you know, what we always say is that you, you really feel like you're like on the field, man. It's, it's a pretty cool experience. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to that one. And, you know, I think Tulane and Ole Miss, I, I really like this series is continuing and hope they keep these things on the books for, for a while here. So thanks so much for having me, Zach, and, uh, looking forward to the game on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I would love to get down for that game. Uh, in a couple of years, because I've always enjoyed my time in New Orleans. Um, I, I love the, I mean, look, I, you know, spoiler alert, the food scene there is great. Um, love going down there and 
eating a ton of food and yeah, I would really enjoy seeing that stadium in person, but, um, but yeah, so JP, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you being flexible with me this week. And I know that you've got things going on. I, you know, we've got things going on here, um, but we, but we made it happen. So uh, thank you to him. Follow them on Twitter at fear the way blog, check out their Substack and uh, check out their podcast as well as they'll be previewing the game, but that's going to do it for us here on podcast rebellion. Thanks to JP over there. Thanks to Salah. Thanks to uh, Davis McCord of State Farm. Thanks to LB's Meat Market and the rest of our lovely sponsors. We'll be back with you later this week when we preview week three um, with the Legal Gambling Council. We took a we took a breather last week um, due to some travel restrictions uh, due to me being out of the country. But we will be back this week to preview week three. I think it's a pretty uh, pretty solid slate of games so we'll be giving you all of our locks but uh, again thanks to jp fear the wave follow them on twitter check out the Substack, and listen to the podcast so for him over there i'm zach it's been podcast rebellion thanks for listening we out